if if God's action is dependent on how much faith I have, right, then it's about me. It's not about him. Mm. And, and and I can't I can't live with that weight of knowing that this this life is dependent on how much faith I have. Okay. Mm-hmm. Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. Today I have with me a couple of friends that I've known for years, one of them since he was a very small child, and uh, and then his wife is with us, who was a student here at His Hill. Uh, we have Nathan and Davina McCall. They are Charlie's son and daughter-in-law, uh, Charlie McCall, that is, the director of the ministry here, and uh, they were willing to, to come. They're, they're here. They're, their kids are in day camp for this week, so they were around, and they were willing to be interviewed. Uh, they're going to tell us a little bit about their just how they came to know the Lord and what He's doing in their heart, and then we're going to talk to them about just some things that they've had to walk through with the Lord. Um, so, hi guys. Hi. Hi. Thanks for being here, um, Davina. You were yes. a student here at His Hill. What year were you here? Yes, I was a student in oh eight oh nine for my first year. Okay. And then I did second year. I took one semester off and then did second year. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Nathan, you were, you grew up here at His Hill, but you were, you were a student somewhere else. Where did you go? Yeah, so I attended Port and Torches down in Costa Rica. And what year so was that? That was from 06 to 07. Okay, good. Uh, Davina, you mm-hmm. are Canadian. Where, yes. Where's your home? Beaver Lodge, Alberta. Okay, that's, that's uh, way up there. Way up there, even further than Edmonton. Yeah. 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 How far of a drive is it to Edmonton? Uh, it's about five hours. Okay, yeah, so quite a bit further mm-hmm. yeah okay yeah. um so tell us uh what kind of family did you grow up in grew up in a christian home um i have five younger siblings i'm the uh, the oldest and um grew up in a yeah christian home i don't, don't really remember becoming a christian i just always remember knowing the lord okay and i you know just I, I think I was about four when I accepted Christ. Um, I don't really remember it very clearly, but also, you know, don't doubt it. I remember always knowing the Lord and knowing that my relationship was real. Okay. Regardless of, you know, maybe childlike faith and sure. limited understanding. Sure, yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the Lord just gave that confirmation mm-hmm. in your heart that you were His. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so... Um, now growing up there in Beaver Lodge, how many siblings? Five younger siblings. So okay. I'm the oldest. You're the oldest of, mm-hmm. okay. So oldest of six. And, mm-hmm. uh, what was, you know, what was your relationship with the Lord like growing up, you know, through adolescence, teenage yeah. years? Um, I feel like it was very knowledge based. We were a homeschool family. We knew a lot of, I mean, probably for a lot of people was my, my parents' faith in a sense of okay. just growing up with that. It was familiar. It was, this is what we believe. Um, and my faith really came, became my own in, in Bible school. And it wasn't like, oh, I wasn't a Christian before and now I am. It was just very, um, the word it, it became my own as far as 
this is what I was taught. And yes, this is what my heart believes, not just because this is what I was taught, but this is true of the Lord and this is true of the Bible. Mm. And this is what I believe because that's what I believe and not just that was what I was told to believe. So not like a different, but more of confirming what I grew up with. So, so what, um, what hat, what, what, what were the events that brought you to his hill? Well, my best friend Hillary said, Hey, let's go to Bible school. I want to go to Texas and meet a cowboy. (laughs) And I said, I don't want to go to Texas. That sounds hot. <laughs> and, and she said, I don't, I don't remember what the process was, but she really wanted to go and she did not want to go by herself. And she really wanted me to go with her. And for me, that was a long way from my parents. And so that was appealing. Okay. And <laughs> maybe not the greatest reason to go to Bible school, but yeah, it was, we grew up in a pretty strict home and we were homeschooled and I was ready to get out of Dodge and okay. Texas sounded far enough away. Okay. Um, so what did the Lord do in your heart while you were here? Uh, you stayed for two years, must've been something good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she met me halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kelly, let me tell you, when I was partway through my first year, it was probably near the end, I remember you coming up to me and asking me, have you thought about second year? And I remember thinking, no, I don't want to stay for second year. No, I have not thought about it. No, I'm not going to think about it. I did not want to do second year. Okay. No offense to those who want to do second year. <laughs> I did not. Um, I was like, I, I didn't want to do the physical aspect of second year. It was just not appealing at all. And I remember you saying, well, will you at least pray about it? Like, I can't say no to the <laughs> dean of students asking me to pray about something. <sighs> now I have to. So I did, <laughs> and then I ended up staying for second year. So it's interesting how the Lord works those things out. We were just talking about that the other day. And you did decide to stay before you met me. Yes. Right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> Good, throw that in there. Yeah, yeah <laughs> just in case that's part of the reasoning. Um, anyways, I was thinking about that the other day, of that sometimes God puts things on our hearts as a desire, and some things are not a desire at all. Mm. And it takes somebody else saying, have you considered this? Will you pray about it? I guess I have to. <laughs> <laughs> so was it a good thing then? It was. It was a very good thing. Good. Second year was um, very important for that. All of, all of that I learned in first year to really get put into practice. Okay. That's what I, I felt like it was forcing the practical of my spiritual life and, and figuring out how that, you know, it's not just the God of the Bible and here's my spiritual life up here, but here's my physical life down here and they're separate, but how those two work together okay. and how, you know, God is not just in my relationship in my head, but my day-to-day life Mm. is me. And those have to work together and I have to need God 
for physical things, not just okay. emotional or spiritual. Okay. So the outdoor stuff probably helped a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, which was the whole idea with the outdoor yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Either uh, going to grow spiritually from being so terrified in a cave by myself or I'm going to strangle Becky Donaldson. <laughs> <laughs> so we grew, and she's still, <laughs> she's she's still fine. <laughs> Nathan, uh, now, you growing up, uh, you, you know, I love to tell the story, and you, you know it's always coming. Uh, but when, when we first came on staff here, Nathan was, I think, three years old. And uh, th- there was a, a dog around here that was, it's a long story how the dog got here. But anyway, uh the dog's name was Maggie, and uh, this was uh, my dog, then my brother's dog, then eventually it became Herb's dog, uh, and uh, and then Herb kept her for years and years. She was a great dog. My brother and I just couldn't keep her with what happened. But anyway, we were at your house, and uh, Maggie was uh, playing in the front yard with you guys, and she had twine wrapped all around her. And three-year-old Nathan looked up at Charlie and says, Dad. Maggie's in a dickament. <laughs> I remember, I remember looking at this little kid and being scared. <laughs> That's how does this three-year-old know what a predicament is? Yeah. But uh, anyway, that was that was one of my early memories of you. But you grew up here. What was it like growing up here as a staff kid? It was a great place to grow up. Um, you have to say that. I have to say that. Yeah, I'm a little bit biased, <laughs> but it really was like we. In, in some ways, we we miss for our kids what I had growing up yeah um, and part of that being the the amazing spiritual environment you know we're, we're hearing from the word we're we're spending time with students who are immersed in the word and as well as all the staff um, as in addition to just the, the fantastic property for a kid to be able to run around and, yeah. <laughs> and spend time outside um, but so I, I I loved every bit of growing up here and I I came to know the Lord very early, kind of like Davina. I, I, I have very vague memories of, of originally, um, you know, praying to receive Christ. And I was probably about three. Um, but when I was nine or ten, um, Lord put it on my heart that I, I, I wanted to be baptized. And, um, and I think it was just the Lord um, doing that because I, you know, I don't remember that ever being specifically talked about as far as that I needed to. I don't remember anybody telling me I needed to. Mm-hmm. But the Lord put it on my heart, and um, and that's that's the time that I really kind of I, I I hold to as knowing this is my knowing I'm I'm saved because looking back at three, you know, I I, I kind of like what Davino was saying. I, I I knew Christ. I you know I grew up with that, but I couldn't really remember that to say I, I'm holding to that decision. You know, as a three year old. Um, but at that point, nine or ten, like I, I, I made a public profession of Christ, and, and that's what I told him too. Is really kind of my my new birth as as a Christian. Okay. And I think it's interesting that both of you have a similar story with that that you don't really remember, and I think that speaks to the faithfulness of God. Mm-hmm. You know that uh, there's there's a number of people who sometimes worry. You know, mm-hmm. I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, and when they've come to talk to me about that, I ask them, "Well, are you trusting Jesus now?" Do you, you know, is, 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 is Christ your security? And, 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 uh, and they tell me, yes. I said, well, so you tell me you believe in him. And they go, mm-hmm. yeah. I said, well, it's that, you know, so look that this is, this is his faithfulness in our life. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's what, that's what matters. Right. So, uh, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk about that because, you know, mm-hmm. it's part of both of your 
your testimony. Yeah. That's good. So you were baptized later and that's kind of what you look back at. Yeah. That's the memory that I, you know, particularly as I got older and if I would struggle with my salvation and, and, you know, questioning that. And, and I did a lot of that um, in high school, particularly that was the moment I could look back at and, and re- moment, remember Romans ten nine. if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Mm. And I look back and I remember that is that is my public profession of Christ. Okay. Um, and so that that verse, particularly for me in high school, was was that reminder and that the reminder that I I am as I struggled with my salvation, I am saved. I I know this because of this verse and because of my public profession. That's great. Uh, you were baptized down in the river, I guess. I was. Yeah, my yeah. dad baptized me. Your dad did. That's great. In his, yeah. in his blue jeans. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't seen your dad's legs in about forty years. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember you as a fa- your family swimming at the pool one time, and your dad showed up in a in a swimsuit. That was the one and only time I've ever seen his legs. <laughs> Right. Okay, uh, so now you went to Port and Torches. What was that yeah. like for you? So that was great for me too. So um, you know, growing up at the hill, um, I, I had a pretty, pretty deep Bible background, for for lack of a better way to put that. Um, Port and Torches is not, uh, or at least at the time, was not as uh, academic as his hill is in a lot of ways. Um, and for me, that was really good. Um, it was it was really good to be able to to get to know others. In a, in a tight community. I mm. think 30 students was the most they could have at that, that point. Um, the staff, we all lived in, in like a four acre lot. So it was really close. Um, and it was really good for me uh, in similar ways to D- what Davina said. I'm, I'm, I'm making my faith my own. Um, that, at that, that time that was, that was my time away from home, um, to, to really decide if, is this what I'm going to continue in? Mm. And, um, and as well as kind of come out of my shell a little bit and, and, you know, I was, I don't know if you remember, I was supposed to pretty quiet. Still am. Yeah. <laughs> some would say, but, uh, at the time, you know, I was, I was really shy. Sure. Um, and that, that really helped me with, with, with making my faith my own and, and, and coming out of my shell and, right. and, and being able to relate to others. Okay. But, yeah. You know, so I, I will say too, when I was in high school, I was, I was pretty intimidated by you. I don't know if I've ever told you that. No. Um, no. I don't know that I ever really had any reason to be, uh-huh. um, but she kind of scared me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm not surprised to hear that. You know, your dad and I both have, uh, we, uh, we struggled with that every year. Mm-hmm. And I think it had something to do with titles. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe just the position that we mm-hmm. had here, and your dad still has. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it usually took, especially girls, it would take three, four weeks for them to loosen up around me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the guys, after about a week or two, they were okay with me. I remember one year, uh, there was this one girl that just couldn't, she couldn't shake it. She was always petrified of me. <laughs> and I, you know, I would, I would say hi to her and you could see it just fear in her face just to say hi back. Well, w- one day th- her friends thought it'd be really funny to throw her into my office and <laughs> close the door and hold it until <laughs> she couldn't get out. And so I'm sitting at my desk. All of a sudden this poor girl comes flying into my room. The door slams. And I'm thinking, what in the world? And and I realize what's going on now. And I, I asked her, do you want to sit down? So she sat down. And she just could not get comfortable. So I said, I looked at my window. I said, do you want to crawl out of the window? And she said, yes. I said, go right ahead. So she crawls out. She's gone five minutes. 
and the door cracks open and all her friends are standing. They, they couldn't hear anything inside. So yeah. they wonder what's going on. So they open the door and I'm in there by myself. <laughs> <laughs> so she got the, she got the, 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 the laugh on them. But anyway, she eventually did relax with me, but I'm sure there was nothing there. I mean, we, no, it was and it, and it, really, it wasn't until I was 15. You invited me to come down and watch Star Trek enterprise. Oh with yeah. The guys. And, um, and got to spend a little more time with you one-on-one. And then, yeah, I remember you coming, yeah. being a part of the guy night. Yeah, so I've always I've always appreciated that you you being willing to invite me. Well, I'm I glad like I, I did that a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might still be scared of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, you know I think it's it's interesting too, both of you saying that you you know th- there was this time where you had to make your faith your own, mm-hmm. and I I think that happens a lot at Bible mm-hmm. school, and it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I I can't tell you how many people have come. Bible school with certain plans mm-hmm. and the Lord, you know, gets a hold of their heart and something happens and they find that their plans change and they're, 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 they're not bemoaning that at all. They're actually quite thankful for that and excited. It's interesting yeah. to see, you know, the, the different paths people take than what they thought they were going to be taking mm-hmm. as they, as they come to know that Christ is their life mm-hmm. and they learn to look to him and respond to him. So that's, that's an interesting similarity mm-hmm. between the two of you. So, okay, now, you, you guys went to different Bible schools, but you ended up meeting each other. How'd mm-hmm. that happen? Yeah, so I so I, I graduated a couple years before Davina did. So I attended um, Point and Torch, just like I said, from 06 to 07. And then after that, I went and attended Laterno University, went to engineering school there. And um, I was still coming back to work at camp for the summers um, with three, uh, yeah, I guess, well, two or three summers that I had there. Um, and... Um, Davina had finished her first Bible school year, and, well, you maybe talk about how you got finagled into staying for camp. <laughs> I don't know where that decision came from, but she decided she was going to stay for camp, and uh, it was one of the first couple days in staff training, and uh, and my brother kind of nudged me and said, hey, you know, you should, should kind of keep your eye on, on Davina over there, and uh, so, all right, okay. <laughs> that was and, uh, Michael. Yeah, if you say Michael. so. That was Michael, yeah, and... Uh, yeah. And around the same time, Brooklyn said, hey, Davina, what do you think about Nathan? And they were like, obviously. Yeah, they were in cahoots. They, were, they had been dating at the time, too. <laughs> and so, yeah, they, they were in cahoots on that okay. one, apparently. And so what yeah. year was that? You, was Summer of, of your first year. Oh, nine. Okay. Yeah. And then what year did you get married? So we got married two years after that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So Davina went back home for the following semester. I went back to school. We wrote some letters back and forth. Um, that was pretty much it until January when she mm-hmm. came back to school. And so and that w- that was when we kind of sat down and decided, well, I told no, her no, I'd no. like to date you. He said, would you like to go steady with me? Yeah, <laughs> classic. It's classic, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I said yes. Scare her, so yeah. <laughs> I'll go steady with you because I'm so, 90. Yeah. <laughs> So you guys started the date, and uh, you, you got married, and um, you have lived most of your married life in the Houston, or all of it, in the yeah. Houston area, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I graduated school, um, got a job offer down south of Houston, uh, moved down there, lived there for six weeks, and then went up to Canada and married Davina, and then brought her back down with me, and, and we've been down, ever, down, down there ever since, oh, mm-hmm. 11 years now. And you have a growing family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. So we, we've we got four boys with us. We've got um, a few in heaven as well, mm. um, which we can talk about more later. But 
our oldest son, Charles, um, named after me, both me and my dad. Yeah. First names are both Charles. So he's seven and a half. Dawson is six and a half. And then we, we adopted a boy, Ivan. Um, and he, so he's about to turn five. And then we, we had our, our daughter, Opal, um, that we lost at birth. Um, another miscarriage after that. And then just a v- little over a year ago, we had our, our fourth son, Maxwell. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's a busy family. <laughs> it is a busy family. We were mm-hmm. talking about it a little bit before. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have all these boys, and mm-hmm. they are wired up. They are all boy, mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> we were just talking about how neat that is mm-hmm. because, um, y- you know, they, that's what they are. They're boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, they're we sweet and wild. Yes. <laughs> sweet and wild. And, you know, so often, you know, t- today we were talking about how there is a concentrated effort you know, by the world to, uh, to weaken Mm -hmm. our Mm -hmm. boys, you know, Mm -hmm. really making it difficult for them to become men. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's just, it's just fun to see that, you know, your boys are boys Mm -hmm. and, (laughs) and, uh, that's, um, you know, that there's a lot of people that would say that's not a good thing Mm -hmm. in today's world, but you know, no, that, you know, Mm -hmm. the boys and girls are different, Mm -hmm. you know, by design. Right. And, uh, and, and you don't have to, it's interesting too. You don't have to encourage a boy to be a boy, mm-hmm. but you can sure discourage him from being one. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's something, yeah, we, we, uh, we remind ourselves we are, we are raising men. We're not raising boys. We're not, we're not certainly not raising girls here. They're, they're boys, but also there's the attempt to raise gentlemen. And that's something we talk to them a lot about is mm-hmm. I'm, I am, I'm training you to be a gentleman mm-hmm. and there are ways that gentlemen act. Mm. Um, so that it's it's that fine line. We don't want to we don't want to beat the manliness out of them, but there are there are ways that are appropriate for a man to behave, for a gentleman to behave, mm-hmm. and that's something that we've we've tried to be intentional with teaching them. This is this is not the behavior of a gentleman. Mm. Well, that's good. That's good. We'll see if that kicks in at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like we talked about uh, in last week's episode, there's no guarantees, mm-hmm. but that's not why we do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know, but that's. Uh, it's for them to decide with the, you know before the Lord mm-hmm. how they're going to be, but as parents, that that's our role is mm-hmm. to is to train and to and to to encourage and to we talk about discipline and to mm-hmm. grow them, uh, to help them grow. But um, but yeah, that's so that's encouraging. Um, now y- you mentioned that you have some in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, t- tell us what you mean by that. Yeah, so I can. I mean, I can start with the story. Um, so Davina got pregnant with, with her daughter, Opal, um, in 2019. Um, as far as we knew, everything was going great with the pregnancy up until our 20-week ultrasound. Um, mm-hmm. And so we, we went and got the ultrasound, which is where we, we found out her gender. Um, and so we were, we were told we were having a girl, and you know, obviously we were pretty ecstatic, ecstatic about that. Oh, no, I was freaked out. She was. I, I was ecstatic. <laughs> um, no, we were excited. Um, and then later that day, we got a call um, from her midwife saying mm-hmm. there, there are some issues. Um, saying, you know, they, they, they noticed a few things on the ultrasound. They noticed some heart issues. They noticed some issues with fluid around her lungs and fluid on her brain. Mm. Um, so they wanted us to come in and, and do some further testing, um, which we did. And... Um, Long story short, they they determined she had a genetic condition, one p three six syndrome, um, which is very rare, very rare condition. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it does often affect those those things, the heart particularly, the brain. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and um, so it was, you know, it's like a like a kick, kick in the gut when you get that kind of news. Um, mm-hmm. But we, you know, <laughs> all, all you can do is trust the Lord with it. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, to continue with the story, we we were close to Houston, which had a, a fantastic um, med center for that sort of thing. Um, and so we were we were in there pretty much every week, sometimes twice a week um, for the remainder of the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, watching her grow and develop and get bigger and, and praying along the way, um, praying, doing a lot of praying for healing, um, but praying for the Lord's will with it. Um, well, and every week was a roller coaster. Like mm-hmm. we were in there a lot in the fetal center. And they would do scans on her organs, so she was missing um, a kidney. Yeah. She had a huge hole in her heart, a number of things wrong with her heart, a lot of fluid around her brain. Um, and so every week they would do scans on everything, and then also usually an echocardiogram on her heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lot of different specialists involved, and it was a roller coaster pretty much every week as far as, you know, meet with a cardiologist who would talk about her heart and, well, here's our plan for surgery and here's what we're going to do when she's born and this is the surgical approach we'll take. And it was all very like, this is how we're going to help her. It's very treatable in a sense. And then we would meet with other specialists who would look at her brain or, um, and say, oh, well, She's really probably not going to make it. And a lot of it, too, was very clinical. And so we felt very much like being jerked around all the, you know, like sometimes it was positive in a very clinical approach. And then sometimes it was, I mean, there was one weekend they said, okay, well, um, go home. She's going to die in the next couple of days. Mm. So go home and just wait. Oh, be wait. Ready. Be ready to come in next week and, yeah. Yeah, wait, call us if you feel her stop moving. Ugh, didn't sleep any oh. all weekend, you know. Oh. It was, um, and they said, okay, well, if she's not dead by Monday, come in. We'll do another appointment and see what's going on. But we have no hope that she'll be make it through the weekend. Wow. And so we went home. All of his family came out. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of pack some bags for the hospital and, you know, picked an outfit for her to wear f- for a funeral and um, didn't sleep, watched my belly keep kicking. And she was just as lively and active as all of our boys had really? been mm-hmm. wow. all through the pregnancy. It was incredible. They kept saying, well, I don't know why she's moving so much. Like, in her condition, she's... In such bad condition, and she was so active, so rowdy, just like mm-hmm. all the other boys were in the womb. Um, and so, yeah, we made it till Monday and went in, and they said, well, we really don't know why she's alive. And we said, well, we do. Yeah. Mm. We know a bigger God, and he obviously isn't done here. We mm. don't know what that purpose is, but, you know. So long as she's still alive, we're still going to do our part. Um, Yeah, I don't know if we want to get into that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, on it, yeah. 
I mean, this is a struggle all the way along. Like she said, it was just a roller coaster. Um, mm-hmm. There were a few weeks in particular where they were very concerned about Davina's health and, mm-hmm. uh, and afraid that she would start exhibiting mirror syndrome okay. um, and basically start having the same effects of the baby. Um, mm. And so there was never, uh, none of the doctors ever used the word abortion, mm-hmm. yeah. but they they hinted around enough to give us the option to say we'd like to. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it became clear that they were they were fishing without trying to say it trying to be tactful, mm-hmm. but they, they were waiting for us to say, well, let's, let's end this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we went to the point of the w- one week, them asking me symptoms as far as like, well, do you have anything wrong with you that we could say there's something wrong with you? Because as soon as there was something wrong with me, then they legally could deliver her. Okay. Um, Cause in the state of Texas, that was not allowed to, know abortions at a later term and okay and so that would be considered an abortion if um it was if they were to deliver her um without any cause for concern for my for my body or um okay i mean she was in bad shape but i guess there was no reason to do an emergency delivery unless she was showing signs of distress um and so they were you know, asking, do you have a headache? Well, I'm not going to say, yeah, I do have headaches all the time. <laughs> and, right. Um, but, yeah, they were really fishing for some really? symptoms. Really? So just anything? Yeah. And, I mean, I think it was their doctors, and for them to do their job, they need a baby in their hands. And it, yeah. I think there's a lot of times it's easier. Well, especially at that point, we were pretty mm-hmm. far along. And at that point, they were not expecting her to survive. Um, they, they even told us at one time, you're not, you're not going to be coming home with a baby. Okay. Which is, you know, that's, that's difficult, you know, with our faith, we're, yeah. we're praying for, for healing. <laughs> um, and we believe God can, and it's, it's difficult when you don't know if God will. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and, and it's, that sort of thing is, is difficult to pray for because we know that short of a, a complete miraculous healing, even if he, if she does survive, it's going to be a difficult life. Mm-hmm. Um, for her, for us, um, just all for our, our boys, you know, that's, that is not going to be easy. You know, that would, that would change everything. And, you know, how do you, how do you pray for that? How do you, you know, that's not something we can, you know, at best we can pray Lord's will, you know, mm-hmm. know best. And, um, that genetic condition came with a lot of, um, a lot of cognitive issues. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of children do survive who have who have it. Really, um, but it's very severe with um, m- mental difficulties, disabilities, medical disabilities. So you're preparing yourself. We're preparing that if if she if she does survive, life is going to change. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're going to have a severely disabled daughter that mm-hmm. we going to have to to care for for the rest of her life mm-hmm. um and and obviously you know we're we're praying for healing we're praying that she'll survive we'll pray that we're praying for miraculous healing because yeah. we believe god can mm-hmm. um and so that's something we have to come to grips with you know god can sometimes he chooses not to mm. um, either way it's good mm. what's so there's a lot of things you're having to deal with at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the abortion's been thrown out at you that uh, even in a way that gives you an out mm-hmm. to where, you know, it's, there's something wrong mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. yeah. And 
so you've got that. You've got the possibility of, okay, if, if this baby does survive, she's going to be a handful mm-hmm. as, as far as taking care of for the rest of our life. Well, and not just for us, like she would have had a hard life, mm-hmm. you know, like that would be a lot of pain and suffering for her, right. even physically, like mm. it it would have been who knows how long in a NICU, in, in a hospital. Because even um, among children with that disability, she had a lot worse issues than most of the children who, dis- who, mm. who survived with that. Okay. So they often have cognitive issues. Um, they'll often have some sort of heart defect or or some sort of other thing, and she had she had a number of different oh, internal yeah. or organ issues. So when you're dealing with all of this, you know what what was going on with you and the Lord, and just having to make these decisions. You know what what was the process of deciding? No, we're not going to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. What was the process of saying, okay, Lord, if this is what you have for us, mm-hmm. you know we you know we will love this. We would love this girl yeah. and we would well honestly it's maybe not as easy as it sounds okay. as far as like i mean we don't agree with abortion <laughs> end of story um but you know it's not as clear mm. when there's a lot of pain when there's when there's pain and suffering mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's, yeah, less, less clear Mm. when you think it would be merciful to deliver this baby and for her pain to be over, you know, because she was, she was struggling. Right. In the womb. Mm -hmm. Particularly towards the end. Yeah, as her near the end of pregnancy, her condition got worse and worse, and so there was fluid fill, filling up in her body, and so that was, you know, a really hard decision to try to figure out: is this, um, is this right? Is this us trying to hold on to her as long as we can mm. to not to not deliver, especially with having been you know, given some options. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, now you're dealing on top of all of that. Now you're dealing with whether or not I'm being selfish. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and even at the end we had more options because they told us, you know, we can, we can do a C-section. Um, deliver quickly, deliver get her quickly. into our hands. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a struggle with, yeah, do we do that? Do, is it, you know, is there less stress on the baby's body? If we do a C-section, is she more likely to survive if we do that? Yeah. And there was different opinions. The the OB, who was not responsible for the for Opal's condition, she's just there to deliver the baby. But um, a high risk doctor, so she knew everything. Um, you know, she didn't feel like that was the the right approach um, for her condition, and you know, maybe some of the other doctors were more surgically minded wanted to just get their part um and get the baby into their hands um and like he said there were more choices even with just that we really had to wrestle with with okay having to decide ahead of time almost like a dnr of like how if, how if much this happens what are we going to have you do if this happens okay how much intervention mm. yeah um 
are we choosing? And then was that was that was a hard appointment. We mm. had to sit down with a genetic counselor and go through well in a NICU team. Um, I forget what that team was called, but they were essentially for that purpose, like almost like an end of life care team to be ready at delivery of here's a number of scenarios to talk through ahead of time. Okay. If she's breathing, this is what is your decision in this sense? And it's pretty hard to try to figure out ahead of time. Um, You know, as you're explaining this, I'm thinking in the last two years, both of my parents have passed away, so we had to go through a, a lot of the same things as far as mm-hmm. deciding end of mm-hmm. end of life mm-hmm. care, and that's hard enough when you're dealing with an eighty and a ninety two year mm-hmm. old mm-hmm. parent. But I can't imagine now, on top of everything else that's going on, this gets thrown at you too. Mm-hmm. I I just I can't I can't imagine how. I, I guess what's really going what the big question I have right now is just how what's the process? I mean, how are you mm-hmm. getting through this? What's going on with you and the Lord during this? There's there's a lot of tears. <laughs> there's some anger. Okay. Um and 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 then there's just relying on him. I mean, I I, I don't know that there's any way that we can say this is we did this and this and this, okay. but we we didn't we, I didn't sleep a lot. And that's sort of, I mean, any, any kind of thing like that, I I feel like for me and, and maybe for more men in general, it's easier to compartmentalize and it's easier to say, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to, I'm going to take care of my kids and I'm going to concentrate on that. And, and it's easier to step from box to box. And, and that's, that is a lot harder for Davina and she can probably weigh in on that more than me. But for me, some of that is, yeah, that's just, you know, we're, we're going to concentrate on what's in front of us and, and, and do what we need to for what the step right in the middle okay mm. and i mean that was a huge part like he said we were we were parents of three boys already and so we did we still had to be parents and still had to feed them and care for their um normal lives but also being available for them emotionally through through all of that and trying to mm. walk them through it. Yeah. <laughs> Try explaining to five and six-year-olds something like that when you don't know how in the world you understand it. Like, yeah. I don't know how God works with prayer and my involvement with how much do I ask for and how much he's already decided. I don't know the yeah. balance of mm. free will and... You have to explain to your three-year-old that you know the baby sister may not be coming home. Right. Mm-hmm. But listening to them pray mm. is, yeah, I mean, it's convicting too. They mm. they can pray with a faith that I don't have. Oh. Yeah, that that part was really incredible. Of like, you know, I don't know all the answers, and they would ask the hardest questions with a level of understanding that just blew me away. And even when we would say you know and we tried very hard to be honest with them and not just gloss it over but be real with them and they understood way more Mm -hmm. than i ever thought 
they would mm-hmm. and you could tell by the questions they would ask after and you know their conversations about heaven it was just mm-hmm. like blow me away and mm. it was right through that time that, that both of our oldest boys accepted christ mm-hmm. wow. and so we could you know and it, you don't know what all is going on in their hearts but um, it, they're definitely, particularly with our, our three-year-old at the time, seemed like he seemed to be out of some of that conversation of, of you know, Opal, Opal's going to be with Jesus, and okay, well, what does that mean to, to go to be with Jesus? What mm-hmm. does it mean, you know? And we talk about sin, we talk about your need for a savior, and and that's, you know, I, I think I think very largely as a result of that, they they came to know him, and and you know, that's amazing. Amazing result of, of such a hard thing to yeah. see. Yeah, it, it is amazing what children can comprehend, mm-hmm. and we sell them short all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I know teaching uh, here in the summer times, the temptations when we have the younger weeks is to really dumb things down. Yeah. But I have found throughout the years, you know, you may have to explain it different, but you don't have. To, you can ex- still explain the same concepts, mm-hmm. and they comprehend mm-hmm. it. Yeah. They mm-hmm. grab it. I, you know, talking about just how they prayed. I remember when my father-in-law had cancer. My oldest daughter would pray, "Thank you, thank you, for taking care of Grandpa. Thank you for, um, for you know, loving him." And her prayer was, and and she says, "And thank you for healing him." And I would yeah. just think, "Oh my goodness! Now how am I going to explain this one?" Yeah. Well, when he passed away, her first prayer was, "Thank you." Thank you for taking care of Grandpa. Mm-hmm. You know, and I realized, oh my goodness, she understands more than. You know, and, and she said, "Thank you for taking care of Grandpa. And thank you for taking him to be with you." Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. like she comprehends way more yeah. than I give her credit for, and mm-hmm. she has a better understanding than maybe what I do right mm-hmm. now too. Um, so th- that's that's amazing that the yeah. Lord would do that in your lives. Well, and they've never, they've always been very. Um, like they were sad that that Opal died, but they were never very angry or upset. Like they've always seemed to understand that she is in a better place. Truly, like this is the better place for her. It's mm. sad that we don't have her, right. but it's great that she's in heaven with Jesus. And they and they tell people that they tell people that in the grocery store mm. that we meet mm-hmm. in that moment, especially Dawson. He People will say, oh, you got a lot of boys there. And he'll say, yeah, but we have two girls in heaven. Wow. And he'll he'll always talk about them. And it's been crazy, just the conversations that that's, that we've ended up having. That's that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So you say there's there's two girls in heaven. Okay, mm-hmm. what's... Yeah, so we... So, so Opal did. She passed at birth. Um, and then Davina got pregnant again a few months later. Um, and we were, we were about, at about 15 weeks, um, mm-hmm. and they, they wanted us to come in to the, to the, to the fetal center again and, and do some genetic testing if we were willing just to, to rule out there was anything similar going on. Um, well, we had done the blood test ahead of time and then they called and they said the blood test shows some anomaly anomalies that seem like a genetic condition, and we were like, you've got to be kidding me. What we are the just, chances of that? We just did this. Astronomical, which is what they said, too. They said, it, you know, it, 
short of something coming from the two of us, um, it's basically impossible. Um, And so then they wanted us to go into the fetal center to do some more in-depth testing, genetic testing, to see if that other test was just throwing an error, which can... I don't know. What, I don't remember that part, but well, they wanted us to come in and, and validate what the, the br- blood tested said and, and do some follow up testing. Mm-hmm. So that was at 15 weeks. Um, so we went into the appointment. They started with an ultrasound. Um, the tech went out for a minute, and the doctor came in and said, "We're we're we're sorry, but she's she's passed." They yeah. said, "This pregnancy is no longer viable." Oh my goodness! And I just about punched that doctor. Wow. Right in the throat. Yeah. So that was another big punch in the gut. You know, yeah. it's just that one was, I mean, both were unexpected, but, um, you know, we were, we were already gearing our, ourselves up for, okay, what, what is this going to look like? Is it going to be another of the same thing? Yeah. Oh my. Um, yeah. Or we, you know, after that, we were going to look at, you know, starting to test ourselves too, just to see if that was something that, that we were passing down. Um, and and we did do some follow up testing after the fact, and, and and it showed that it was it was something unrelated. Um, she had um, Turner syndrome, and, mm-hmm. and there was something else as well. Um, but basically, they said it's just a it's a genetic anomaly that is that almost well it, the other condition it, it always ends in miscarriage. Um, so it they didn't really know how common it was because it's probably one of those things that most people don't get tested. The, the Turner syndrome either kids survive and lead a fairly normal life Mm -hmm. or they pass away in utero and there's not a lot of in in between it's it's either fatal or they lead a fairly normal life um so that was yeah that was a really um dark time Mm -hmm. no kidding yeah and it's all s- just piled up on mm-hmm. you. It's just all, I mean, you're thinking probably going into the second pregnancy that this will be the time for healing. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that was, you know, there were expectations of mm-hmm. like, this is exciting. This is, you know, our rainbow baby, if you will, yeah. the, the promise after the storm and the, the healing and the restoration. Um, and our nephew had just passed away a month after Opal had passed away. Um, And they had just found out that they were expecting to when we were due, like, I don't know, a week apart or something. And so that was like, you know, these these two babies are this beautiful thing through the ashes. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when they said that uh, our second was a girl as well, we named her Annalise. And so when they said that she was no longer alive. Um, I was very, I was very angry, and mm-hmm. we didn't. I don't think either of us dealt with that after Opal passed away. It was sad, and it was clinging to the Lord. Um, but when she, when Annalise passed away, it was a very dark, angry time. Of like, not. Not doubting the Lord, but being really angry going to him. Okay. You know, it was like, I still believe in God, and I still believe he's in control, and I'm really angry. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, that was, we had to go home and wait for labor to start. And I think we were at home for five or six days waiting for her to be born. Just waiting, you know, knowing there's a baby in there without a heartbeat. Mm. It was a dark time. And so all this, I mean, this, I mean, everything that you're explaining, it's just, it's so heavy. Like you say, it's dark. How do you get through this? What does, you know, it's probably, it's probably easier to ask the question on this end of it. What did the Lord do with it? Then it would be, you know, what, what what were you and the Lord doing at the time? Yeah, <laughs> you know what. But now, what is he? What, how has he brought you through this? What has he done? What What would you say to others who are going through the same thing or have gone through it? Yeah, I mean it's it's hard. That's all I can say to others is it's hard. Mm. There's no not really any making it easier. It's taking one step in front of the other and continuing to walk and not. It's you know it, it's easy to push God away in that, but that's not the answer either. And I and I think to some degree, ang- the anger is not the anger is not necessarily a bad thing. Okay, if we're talking to God about it, mm-hmm. if it's if it's turning us away from God, <laughs> that's that's not good. But we can we can be angry at God and talk to him about it. <laughs> and I think he wants that. He wants us to acknowledge our emotions to him. He wants you and to be honest before him. And and be honest before him. Yeah. Yeah. That's because we would have been lying to, you know, go before the throne of God in in his happy praise and worship because that's not I mean, what we went through was ugly and awful, Mm. you know, and so it was, that wasn't where we were at, and I think that God is not afraid of our anger if we're still going to him, Mm. and I think that can be hard, you know, I think sometimes in our Christian world, it's easy to think that we have to deal with it first or just think I have this to clean up my emotions before I can come before the Lord right. and, and and there's probably a mix of like you know God is holy and so you don't want to just go before him flippantly and and and, and so there is a, a you know a reverence in a sense but there's also um you know, he is our heavenly father, and so there is an aspect of just falling into him in mm. whatever heap of a mess you are, you know, for him to hold you, and sometimes that's not pretty, and sometimes it's not theologically <laughs> okay. organized or whatever sound. <laughs> it might just be, oh, I'm falling apart, God. Okay, I don't know what to do. Mm. And I think a lot of that time in our lives was 
um, there was there was a especially during Opal's pregnancy, there was an incredible peace through her whole pregnancy, even when we were really struggling and really falling apart. God's presence was very mm. near. Mm. Um, and I think some of that is just, you know, when you walk closely with the Lord, sometimes there are seasons of desert that is just walking remembering the past remembering you know almost like living off the sustenance from before right when you're fighting through struggling through the desert and so yeah i mean it was i i appreciate that because you know i'm thinking of you know hebrews i'll never leave you nor will i ever forsake you Mm -hmm. so we know that jesus's promise is that he's there but that doesn't mean because he's there, there's no problems. Mm-hmm. That there's there's no mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But but he's he's there. Mm-hmm. He has you, and I think that's th- that's a huge. Th- I mean, that's a huge thing to 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 come to terms with. Mm-hmm. That uh, you know, healing uh, is not always. Um, healing is not always this sunshine you know, everything, you know, bird singing, mm-hmm. and it, but, but it's a, it, it can be a very messy mm-hmm. reality. Mm-hmm. But when you consider the alternative, alternative of having to go through something like that without his presence, mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine. And we talked about that a lot. Like how do people survive these things? Mm-hmm. And there's a very high number of people who get divorced after the loss of a child. Okay. The, the numbers are, really sad wow how and without the lord it doesn't it doesn't surprise me i mean that's there that's mm-hmm. such stress um just such devastation and, and wanting to wanting to remove yourself from the situation yeah mm-hmm. and i can imagine just being a man thinking that if i had to go through something like that with my wife mm-hmm. just feeling completely lost how can i how can i be anything mm-hmm. for her yeah. right now. I mean, yeah, there's a there's a feeling of helplessness there. I can't do anything, mm-hmm. and I, and you know, of course that's what we teach, right? That's what right. that's what he'll teach right. us. God, you know, he he wants us to get to that point. Right, we, we need to know him that he can do it. And so um, you see his faithfulness, and you know, as you realize you can't handle this, you see his faithfulness even in the fact that you're still together. Mm-hmm. You know, we take that for don't we take that mm-hmm. for granted yeah. so mm-hmm. often. I mean, it, it couples that don't go through something like this, you know, it, we need to hear mm-hmm. what you have to say with that. That the the reality that my wife and I have just celebrated thirty six years mm-hmm. of marriage is his goodness. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. it's you know it's his his faithfulness. You mm-hmm. know, because we can look back and say, you know, hey, listen, I haven't been the best husband. Mm-hmm. You know. I, no, and, and I know there's a lot of people that aren't believers, and they, you know, they they stay together for sixty years. You know, I, you know, we look at that and we go, "Boy, that's that's the goodness of God as well." Yeah, yeah, it is. yeah, yeah. And it is hard, I think, with grief, as we both have processed things in different ways, mm-hmm. and sometimes that can make it really hard to be on the same page in our relationship, or just. Um, you know, because we process things in different ways, and right. that can be frustrating at times. If it's like, "Hey, this is really triggering to me right now," and you seem fine, do you not care? Mm-hmm. 
or it, or vice versa mm. or you know there's just there's so many things too with the loss of a child it's so hard to explain why it's so hard i mean obviously opal's pregnancy was different with a lot of trauma um spread out mm. over 20 weeks of holding our breath i mean it was 20 weeks of holding our breath not breathing very much waiting to mm-hmm. grieve waiting to know if we were grieving waiting to know if we were preparing for you know a medical needs baby and you know just a lot of waiting to process and um but it's losing it losing a child is very hard to explain why it hurts so bad there aren't the right words okay what would you you started off this episode telling us about how you came to know Jesus yeah how he used your time in bible school for you to come to you know making this faith your own and then you go on and you tell us about you know how you got together the children that you've had, and then we go on to, to to this storm that you've both had to have had to go through the whole family. Mm-hmm. So, where are you with Jesus now? Asking God for something, asking Him for something big, and and He, when the answer is no, the it's going to be either it's either is it is it because of my lack of faith. Or, or is it because God has better things in mind? Is it because God can't do it? And, and particularly, if it comes down to my faith, then at some point I'm going to walk away from it because every time, if every time God says no, if it's because I didn't believe hard enough, mm-hmm. at some point I'm going to say, I'm done. I can't believe hard enough. I don't have enough faith for that. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I can't continue this way. Mm. Um, and so when, when we aren't given what we're asked for by God, um, you know, and, and we, we should ask in faith. We, we need that faith. But if, if God's action is dependent on how much faith I have, right, then it's about me. It's not about him. Mm. And, and, and I can't. I can't live with that weight of knowing that this this life is dependent on how much faith I have. Okay. It, it it has to be on God, and and the answer is sometimes no. And I and I I have to be able to say God is good anyway, mm-hmm. because if I can't, then I'm walking away from it. Okay. Because either is he either he is a vindictive God, or he is not powerful enough, or it's on me. And in that case, it's not, it's not worth anything. Okay. It's not still without struggle. We'll say that. Okay. Um, you know, we we're both following him, um, but there there are still rocky moments. There are still times when we feel far from him. Um, at the moment, you know, it's been it's been hard from us for us being so far away from family. You know, it's been. 10 years now we've been living away from family and 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 we feel like we don't have a good support system in a lot of ways um so there's still there's still a lot of struggle there with that and and 
it's we're trusting the Lord, we're walking with Him. Um, you know, I, Peter Reed in the last Thanksgiving conference said something to the effect of some God calls some people to walk through the desert, um, and we feel like we're there. Okay, <laughs> and it's it, God calls some people to be there for a long time, and it's not just necessarily a short season. So, um, what do you yeah. tell? people who may be listening that are in the desert too what what do you say to them all i can say is continue walking (laughs) the lord's got you there if you're trusting him and you're following him and he's got you in the desert he's got you in the desert for a reason and he's there and he's there and all you can do is is trust in it and if if you're trusting him and you're walking with him and he wants you somewhere else he'll take you somewhere else and until then keep walking in the desert one of my favorite songs that just came to mind so many times during all our grieving process is a song by J.J. Heller called God is Still Here. And kind of the end of the chorus says, what if God is still here in this desert too? And obviously it's a rhetorical question, but like, are we thinking about that? What if God is still here in the desert too? We're not getting, Mm. we don't have to get out of the desert to get to God. Mm. You know, he's, Mm. It's not God or the desert. It's it's both, and it's dry, and it's hot and sweaty, and sometimes it's hard mm. work. And I think about the Israelites, and some of it is just surviving on not plenty, you know, surviving on manna and, and remembering his faithfulness in past. Okay. And, and I think there's a lot to be... And trusting his faithfulness for now, that, mm-hmm. he, that he will sustain us, mm-hmm. even if we never see the promised land. <laughs> okay. He's sustaining us now and mm-hmm. trusting him for that. Well, and we felt that. We have felt sustained, mm-hmm. and sometimes it takes reflection and, and looking back to realize that, mm-hmm. that, yeah, we have been sustained. I don't know how we survived. You know, mm-hmm. if we look back and think, oh, that that was really... I mean, it's been just about three years now since Opal passed away. I don't know how we've survived three years. And so obviously that's God. And sometimes mm. in the day-to-day, you don't see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is faithful. Even when we aren't faithful. Right. You know, and even when we're too tired and... And too grieving to clarify our worship to him, even if it's just a more of a puddle at his feet. <laughs> like, mm. You know, sometimes I think there is still worship in that, of and and he has sustained us, and mm. maybe not in plenty. Um, wow, amen. Uh, it reminds me of a hymn that we used to sing a lot when I was a kid, uh, Just As I Am. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the whole idea, the whole message throughout the song is, I come, mm-hmm. just as I am. And I appreciate you guys being willing to, I know it wasn't easy, mm-hmm. but being willing to sit down and talk about this. Uh, you know, before we, we started it, we uh, we talked about the fact that there's, there's a lot of people mm-hmm. that deal with the loss of a child mm-hmm. and uh, it, it, during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I think you were telling me that 50% of first, wh- how was it? Yeah, so we were told that, that 50% of first-time pregnancies end, end in miscarriage. Yeah. Not all women know it, um, just because it's often so early, but that, that 50% of them do. And so there's there's a lot of people who can mm-hmm. identify, mm-hmm. you know, to some extent. Mm-hmm. You know, There's also great comfort in, in knowing that people have walked this path mm-hmm. as well. And I remember my cousin saying, you know, it's it's like grief is like a big pit. And sometimes you don't, it doesn't work to pull somebody out of it or push them out. Sometimes you just have to crawl down in the pit and sit with them mm-hmm. in it. And sometimes you just got to sit in the grief and, and live it. And it's really important to... It can be so healing to have somebody sit in that pit with you and and just, you know, not try to pull you out, not try to push you out, not yeah. try to give you the right book. Right. Or, or the right verse. Or, or the right word verse. Yeah. Consider it all joy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. God's like causing all things to work together for me. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and some people pro- can be so well-intentioned right. and say all the wrong right. things. And that right. can be so hard Mm -hmm. to feel like you have to walk them through your grief because they don't know how to handle it. Um, if it's somebody who, who's never been through, um, close grief and to know what to say. And and sometimes they can say really insensitive things and, and sometimes they say nothing at all, which also hurts because you just want them to acknowledge. What's the best thing someone could say? (laughs) For someone who's been through it, I've been there. You'll know. Mm-hmm. You'll get through it. Yeah. And what about people who haven't and been people through? People who haven't. <sighs> Silence is probably the best company. You know, spend spend time with them and don't say anything. Okay. I mean, it There's can also be good though to acknowledge, especially a child. Like you want them to not just. It sometimes it feels like. Well, they just never existed, you know. Mm. Um, and after the fact, we we appreciate people who who acknowledge her, mm-hmm. um, who don't ignore the fact that you know that we do have children in heaven, yeah. you know. And and it's it's hard. We 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 get it, um, mm-hmm. but they're you know it, they're pretending like it never happened is 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 worse than than doing your best to tactfully acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. I know when my father-in-law passed away, there was a lot of people who expressed their their sympathy, mm-hmm. and we appreciated that. You know that mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not com- trying to compare this to you know, it's, it's different situations, mm-hmm. but yeah. grief though, yeah. and yeah. um, but I, I and we appreciated that people yeah. coming to us. But I remember one particular gentleman. Uh, our family was sitting around table in the kitchen, big table. A lot of us, lot, all the adults, were sitting around it, and. There were people in the house who were there to help, and but this one older gentleman walked in, walked up to us, and and he said, "Listen, I'm really sorry that you're having to go through this." And then he went on to explain to us that he had just gone through this too, mm-hmm. and it's not that I, we didn't appreciate what others had to say, but what he had to say, the Lord used in such a powerful way for us that there was there was some comfort brought mm-hmm. to us not not that it took the grief away but there yeah. was some 
comfort. And I remember as he walked out, the family just staring at each other and my sister-in-law just saying, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we were very appreciative uh, of that. So, you know, not that we weren't appreciative of the others, but just that mm-hmm. the person who had been through it, for him to mm-hmm. to be able to identify like that was an encouragement to us that, you know, you're not alone in this. Mm-hmm. The Lord is faithful in this, and he has shown it with this man. And I think, you know, we never, I don't know that this side of heaven will ever know why right. this happens, but, right. but we can see some of that answer in, in ministering to others. Because... Like we said, it's not it's not too uncommon of a thing for people to lose children, and and for the Lord to have taken us through it, we can then comfort others in a way saying, "I understand." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which, if we had never been through it ourselves, we can never fully comfort someone who okay. has. And so, you know, we've we've seen the Lord use a little bit, and only He knows how much He's going to use it in the future. But um, that that is one aspect of it that, you know, prior to this, we could never say to someone, "I understand." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now we have that ability to truly sympathize with others who have gone through similar things and say, I've been there, I understand. Here's Christ. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. th- did you, something you want to say? Oh, no, I was just trying to think about, like, the yeah, the people that were encouraging to us, and sometimes it is less words, like you said, but also, you know, asking questions, not just saying how are you doing? That's a dumb question. I'm not doing good. Mm. Yeah. It's, you're probably going to get a really snarky answer. <laughs> like, or, uh, But sometimes you can say, how is today? Or, okay. you know, what are you, what are you dealing with today? Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, you can, you can ask questions. You know, mm-hmm. what are, what are you feeling today? Or, um, <clears throat> how can I, a part of what you're going through right now. Mm. Do you want me to come just sit with you? You want me to bring coffee? Should we? Do you want me to come tell you funny stories about my kids and distract you? Or do you want me to sit and cry with you? Do you want me to do your dishes? Do you need to just go take a nap and can I come watch your kids? And I think sometimes it can be very helpful to be specific with people. People are very good at saying, let me know how I can help. Okay. That person's never going to say, hey, actually, now today I need your help. It's really good to offer specifics. Okay. Like, hi, I know you're grieving and you're so distracted. Can I go get you groceries this week or whatever? And it depends on where the person's at and if they have kids or if they have meals provided but sometimes meeting practical needs can be very helpful Mm. but especially if done in an acknowledging of their grief sort of way of well that's that's helpful appreciate that well again thank you guys for being so vulnerable i i do appreciate it very much and um don't usually end the podcast with prayer but I'd, i'd i'd like to do that this time with you guys, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. Father, we come to you uh, with thanksgiving for who you are, acknowledging that you alone are sovereign, that you're holy, that you are good, and you are patient. And Father, we thank you that this is true of you even when we go through the storms of life and we just don't understand what's going on. Thank you that this is true of you 
when we're angry, if this is true of you, when we're sad, when we're hurt. We thank you that you you never change. And so, Father, we're just reminded of the one constant that we have in our life, that no matter what we're going through, we have you. And so, Lord, I thank you for the testimony of Davina and of Nathan, the testimony that says that knowing you and trusting you does not mean in this life that all the storms will be avoided, but their testimony that even in the storm of life, it doesn't affect you. And so, Lord, we pray that they will know your wisdom as they continue to walk with you in this, that they will know your presence, continue to know your presence, that they will know your, your healing, that they will know your joy for your glory. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. I want to thank Nathan and Davina for not only spending some time with us, but also for being so open. We live in a fallen world, and as a result, we all experience messed up, twisted, and dark times in life. Remember that though God knew from before creation that this would happen, it was never his plan, but it's all a result of man going his own way in the garden. Now, this doesn't mean that God is no longer in control. On the contrary, he is very much active, bringing about full restoration, and one day, everything will once again be as it was intended to be. So what do we do now as we encounter these dark times? We must remember that God is faithful through his son, Jesus Christ. This doesn't mean that it's wrong to hurt or that we have to stop grieving. We need to remember and encourage others that according to Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Even there, in the darkest moment, the Lord has not abandoned you. Again, from Psalm 139, verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? And verse 11 says, If I say, Surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are a light to you. So, brothers and sisters, even in your grief, remember, according to Hebrews 12, 2, we're to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And remember, the one we're fixed on is the one who has said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. No matter how dark it is, God is there. Thank you for listening to the His Hill Podcast. Usually by this time you're listening to Lizzie. Well, at this point, we've just wrapped up another summer of camp ministry, and so she's gone home for some vacation time, so you're stuck with me. 
And we want to thank those of you who have been praying with us through the summer camp season. Once again, we've seen the Lord work in the hearts of both campers as well as staff. Again, he has allowed us the privilege of watching people come to faith in Christ, both for their salvation and also for the enabling to live out that salvation. The Lord again has seen fit to bring us a full enrollment for Bible school, which begins September 7th. So we're, we're right up on it. So please pray that both the students and staff grow in Christ, allowing him to do in our hearts what only he can do. And one more thing, we've briefly mentioned in past episodes that it's been a very dry summer. Well, in fact, our director, Charlie McCall, and I were talking about it, and neither of us can remember it ever getting this bad before. And Charlie's time goes back to 1975, mine to 1983, so that's a lot of years. Nearly the whole state of Texas is in a drought. and. Our river has actually stopped flowing. It's, it's become a series of stagnant puddles. We've never seen anything like this. Uh, our county is on a mandatory rationing plan and at least one of the neighboring communities in the hill country has completely run out of water so they're having to have it trucked in. Now the good news through all of this is that rain is in the forecast so we're asking that you pray with us that we would see the water table come back up and that the Texas ground would be renewed. My name is Kelly Darty. I'm the host of the His Hill Podcast, reminding you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus.